coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. Ahem. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. Start there. But you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Keith, just letting you know, this flipped back to last week, but you know that. Um, to the ends of the earth. This has been our, uh, our theme, our over, overarching thing, and, and here's the incredible part. God called us to be, oh, it disappeared. He called us to be his witnesses. We're going to tell about Tell people about the power of God. Now, we get a little worried about this because the word witness there, the first definition of the word is literally a legal, a legal witness. You're called to the stand. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You're like, but what, but I, what, like, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to tell other people about? That's simple. You're going to tell people about the power of God at work in your life. He works around you, he works in you, and finally he wants to work through you. That's the last part that we have the hardest part with, is we like to stop it, Jesus working in me, but he wants to work through you. The incredible part about you will receive power, and then you will become my witnesses, is that the power comes first, the witnessing comes later. You weren't made to just stand and fabricate a story about the goodness of God. The truth is, when you invite Jesus into your life, all of God is available for all people, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And so he comes and he starts working in your life, and you just all you have to do is simply start talking about it. That's it. It's not you making something happen. It's not you fabricating a story. It's not you saying, well, I think this might have been God. No, clearly it was God at work in your life. Now, does anyone like bedtime stories? Right? Who still reads bedtime stories at night? Not to your children, just to your spouse. You're like in bed, Robert Munch, just. (laughs) So neural research shows that when parents and caregivers interact verbally with children, which includes reading to them, kids learn a great deal more than we ever thought possible. And don't just take my word for it. Take the word of Dr. G. Reed Lyon, PhD, Chief of the Child Development and Behavior Branch of the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in Bethesda, Maryland. These gains, I mean, that's a title. These gains range from improved logic skills to lower stress levels. So when you read to your kids at night, you hear these incredible stories, lowers your stress, it helps your logic skills. It helps your verbal skills. I'm just going to leave that right there. You remember that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Turn with me in your Bible to Joshua chapter 3. We've got to get through chapter 3, chapter 4, and verse 1 of chapter 5 in the next 27 minutes. If you're ready, say, I don't think you can do it. Okay. I believe in miracles. Go get some hope. Looks good on you. Merchandise. You sexy thing. All right. Joshua chapter 3. I can't believe I said that. 3 verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove. Let's just stop right there. How pleasant does Acacia Grove sound? Right? It's like, I want to live. Maybe we could get a neighborhood if we have any land developers. Acacia Grove out in Spruce Grove sounds wonderful. 
So Acacia Grove is this incredible place. Uh, so what's happening right here, and it's, this, this is how you know we're in trouble. We're at verse 1, halfway through verse 1, and I'm stopping to break it down, okay? This is, this is where we are in history right now. The Israelites have been walking around for 40 years. God was literally waiting for the people of little faith to die out so that the next generation could inherit the promised land. Because there were so many people along the way in that original group of Israelites who walked around the desert for 40 years, even though they experienced on a day-to-day basis the miraculous power of God where food would show up, like manna, meat, like bread. Yeah, it was the same thing every day, but it showed up. And, I mean, if you can figure out how to cook, like, chicken two ways, I'm sure you can cook quail to it two ways. And... Uh, <laughs> You can figure it out. You know, you can get a little creative with those recipes. Sure, they didn't have Pinterest, but they could figure it out. I mean, they were living every day in the presence of God, in the presence and power of God because every single day their shoes did not wear out. I power through shoes like every three months. My arches are terrible. I destroy these shoes out. So does Dave Rouse. We're starting a support group. And like if the Lord could just provide me miraculous same pair of shoes for 40 years, that is a miracle. That's saving me so much money over time. Their clothes did not wear out. Like, no more crotch rips in your jeans. Just, it's done. You know? I mean, I know rich jeans are popular right now, but those are, it's all gone. So every single day, they, they, they experience incredible power. And if that wasn't enough, pillar of fire, cloud, they just had to follow Jesus. And they would just walk in circles. So they're now about to enter the promised land, and they enter this wonderful place called Acacia Grove. Acacia Grove is a comfortable place that you reach just before you reach the promised land. It's so comfortable, and it's so nice that you think, man, maybe I should stay in Acacia Grove, but God has called you to bigger and better things called the promised land. So it sounds wonderful. It sounds comfortable. It sounds delightful. It's an improvement over your last situation, but it is not what God has called you to. I'm in verse 1, people. (laughs) That wasn't even, this is just where they hang out before the promised land. How many of us settle at Acacia Grove instead of moving forward for the promised land? Because it feels nice, it feels good, it's better than it was, but it's not where God wants me to be. But, you know, it's just nice and it's comfortable, and I'm willing to settle. God has more for you. Let's get to verse 2. <laughs> Lord help us. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving, the, uh, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. So when you see the presence of God moving, move. Since you have never traveled this way before, you should underline that in your Bible. Since you've never traveled this way before, they will guide you. The Spirit of God will guide you. Stay about a half mile between them, keeping clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, uh, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Get ready. Tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Underline that. And the next morning Joshua said to the priests, lift up the ark of the covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Now, uh, just another asterisk in the side of verse 6. You might be wondering why they're crossing a river. You're like, hey, they crossed the river and it opened up and Moses like, you know, Ten Commandments, river opens up, Egyptians all come in, water falls over, dies, they escape, right? You're like, that was, that was, that was earlier. We, we read about the great escape. Here's the incredible thing. 
the very thing that got them out of slavery, they now have to do again to get into the promised land. And God wanted to just remind everybody, this is a whole generation that had never seen God work in that way before. He wanted to remind them that he was the God of yesterday, today, and forever. That if he did it once, he can do it again. If he did it then, he can do it again. And so he says, if you're going to come into the promised land, if you're going to walk into where I've called you, I'm going to do the very thing that I did to get your family out. I'm going to do the same thing to get you in so that you can be reminded of my power. And now this generation knows and understands what I'm capable of. That's verse 6. Let's get to verse 7. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all of the Israelites. They will know I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites ahead of you. The haters. Just go haters. It's just what it is. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. We're so worried about the thing in front of us that we forget that we're walking with the God of the whole earth. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel. We'll just fast forward this. One from each tribe, the priest will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season. Turn to somebody and say, harvest problems. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at River's Edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. That's chapter 3. Chapter 4, here we go. When all people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take uh, stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at a place where, where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each tribe, from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord. Each of you must pick up one stone, carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial in the future. Your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? We're just going fast. Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people. So at the stage, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is where the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, lived and rested. So the instructions were very simple. Follow the Spirit of God. Follow the Holy Spirit who's in this Ark. And because you haven't gone this way before, you just need to trust Him that he's going to guide you the right way through. 
And even though there's an obstacle in front of you, even though there seems to be a natural divide, a river that's in front of you, you got to remember that while you're afraid of the river, you're rolling with the God who made the whole earth. So the river is not a problem for your God. Just follow him. And priests, when you get up to the river, even though it's overflowing, even though there's more water than there was ever, you even remember when your foot hits that ground, the water's going to start to move and the ground will be dry. When you follow Jesus, whatever obstacle is in front of you, as long as you're following Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of what's in front of you because Jesus goes before you. Deuteronomy 31, this isn't in the thing, Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, in in Hebrews 12, get that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us, but that actually comes from Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, where the Bible says that God goes before you and he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus goes before you. So when we're following, we say, hey, what are we doing in church here? We just follow Jesus. Why do we follow Jesus? Because God goes before us, and if God goes before us, who can be against us? We make our lives hard when we make our own way instead of making the way that Jesus intended for us to go. Because if we make our own way, we're, 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 we have to cross that river. We're building barges. Like, you know, it's Huckleberry Finn, just build like putting some things together and trying to float across this thing. You're going to take a running jump and do an epic fail right into the middle of the river. You, th- you think you can outswim it, but there's a current that's going to wash you away? Who wants to go through it? Who wants to go over it when you can just walk right on dry land? But when you fall, you got to follow Jesus. It's not follow your own idea and ask Jesus to make a way. It's follow Jesus first, then Jesus makes a way. Sometimes we do it the other way around. Jesus, I'm just going to walk over here, and if you could just be like, open sesame. He's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It works like that when you follow me, not when I follow you. It's not that way. It's not that way. So we need to reorient ourselves because the spirit of the living God goes before us. That's your first point today. It's just, it's just simple. It's just easy. The spirit of the living God goes before you. So the question that we have for our hearts, for our souls, for our minds is, who's in first place? Who am I following? Who am I following? Am I following the spirit of the living God or am I following the spirit of Brett Esslinger? Generally, it's me. I follow me. So do you. That's, that's the human condition. What we're purposefully trying to do every single morning when we wake up, realizing that his mercies are new every morning, is we're putting ourselves in a position where we say, today I'm trusting Jesus, today I'm following Jesus, and even though I'm going to come to a lot of places and a lot of intersections that are going to tempt me to roll this way or tempt me to roll this way, I'm going to purposely decide and choose that I'm following the spirit of the living God. I am following Jesus because if I follow Jesus, who can sin against me? That water doesn't have a chance. That river doesn't have a chance. That barrier, that thing that has been washing you away for years, the thing you've been trying to get across on your own energy, keeps taking you out, keeps taking you out, keeps taking you out. It's only taking you out because you're crossing it, not Jesus first. That's verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 10, I love this. If, if you think that's pretty good, say, keep going, preacher. All right, verse 10, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. The priests who were carrying the ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, then the priests crossed. What's significant about this, second simple point for you, is that 
the living God stands in your midst. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus goes before you. That's how the river separated. That's the miracle. Jesus goes before you. But what's even more incredible about Jesus going before you is because he's God and he's three in one, Jesus has the ability to stand in the midst. The Ark of the Covenant, the Spirit of God, stayed in the middle of the river until everybody was across. The stragglers, <laughs> the donkeys, everything, the livestock, everything. The Spirit of God stood and waited till everything got across. Sometimes we, we just think, okay, I just need to follow Jesus, and if I follow Jesus, he's going to keep going. But what if he goes too far ahead, and what if I don't like where he's going? Guess what? Not only does the Spirit of the living God go before you, but he is standing in your midst. So if you follow Jesus in, he's going to walk with you through. I am preaching so much better than you responded. Not only, I know it's not the 12 o'clock, but we could try. Okay. The spirit of the living God goes before you. But not only does he go before you, but when you follow him in, he stands there and then he walks through with you. He's making sure you get across. He's making sure your mama gets across. He's making sure your dog's going to get across. We're not sure about cats. But he's there in the midst. You're like, God, where are you? You're just going ahead of me. You're abandoning right here. No, 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 no. God does not abandon you. That's why we can throw back to Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because your rock and your staff are with me. He's with you in the midst. Sometimes we think, I'm just going to follow Jesus, and then if, what if I fall behind? You can't fall behind because Jesus is in your midst. Jesus is in your midst. Jesus is in your midst. Is your third point. We're just powering through today. The third point. The spirit of the living God has got your back. The spirit of the living God has got your back. As soon as... As the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. Not until everyone got across, then those priests carrying the Spirit of God walked behind the people of God. And once those Priests were out of the, it wasn't like as they walked, the river started coming back. He's like, no, 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 no. God doesn't roll that way. He's not halfway. He's not three quarters. The water's not rushing. And you're like, whoa, we better get out of here. It's wait until the priests are past the river, up the river bank. The, the water started flooding back in. And how does the water start flooding back in when it all drained out to the Dead Sea? How does that even start happening? What's, to me, as miraculous as the water stopping is how the water get back. Because it told us where it went. It just stopped and went to the Dead Sea. But here's what's significant. Yes, the Lord goes in front of you. The Spirit of the living God goes ahead of you. The Spirit of the living God is standing in your midst. Most importantly, the Spirit of the living God has your back. He's watching your six. He's with you. So even when you're running away from him, he's chasing after you. He's chasing after you. You're like, oh, well, he's just way up ahead there. Yeah, he's God in three parts. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end. 
But here's what they did. Here's what, this is what the Israelites did, which is significant. God told them to go into the river, into the very middle of the river, and start collecting rocks from the very middle of the river and just to pile them up at camp. Just pile up those rocks. He's like, why are we collecting, like, rocks? Now, I understand if you're four years old why you love to collect. My son on vacation, he just, like, picked up rocks from everywhere. It's like every rock is new and exciting. No, son, a rock is a rock. No, rocks. Even more exciting to my two-year-old, rocks. What are you doing with those things? I got a rock. Son, Jesus is a rock. Nope, this is my rock. Okay, you need to get saved. Uh Like, I understand why rocks are important to other people. The rocks were significant to this culture at this time. They're not as significant to us because they were, they were memorial stones. They would take these things and they would set them up to remind themselves of incredible things that would happen so that when they came by with their kids, they're like, oh, that was the, what are those rocks for, Dad? Oh, those rocks are the time when we just walked across that river. Oh, did you get wet? Was it tough? Did you build an awesome raft? No. The spirit of the living God went in front of me. He was in my midst, and he got my back, and we walked across on dry land, son. Oh, man, Dad, do you think Jesus can do something like that for me? Son, I know that he can do something like that for you. That's why we piled up these rocks so we could have this conversation. That's why we're wearing that hat or that jacket or that shirt so we could have this conversation. It might not be rocks for us right now, but when you're in the midst of the storm, you need to take some notes, write a journal, I don't know, make an Instagram story, save the video, whatever it is you do in your life to remember. Mark those moments so that when your kids are like, hey, Dad, remember when times were rough and your life was terrible? He's like, yes, son, every day with you. I know what you're talking about. He's like, well, what about that time God came? Yeah, let me tell you about the time Jesus Christ showed up. We don't remember. We just forget and move on. And then when we get into the next situation, our our selective memory causes us to depend on our own understanding. And Jesus said, man, I wish you would have piled up some rocks. At least it's like a physical reminder of the goodness of God. What are we doing to remember, to memorialize, to tell the story? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're filming testimonies so that we've got living proof of the record of the goodness of God. Did you know that? We've already done uh, one. <laughs> we're very impressive. We've already done one. We've got two scheduled this week. Too. If you want to tell your story about your journey, you're like, well, my story is not that impressive. That's not true. I want to illustrate this for a moment. Uh, Brendan, in that amazing sweater, please come up. Yes, give Brendan a big round of applause. Come on, Brendan. Landon, come on up here. Landon. Landon's back from another, like, if you thought Seb's honeymoon was long, Landon's was longer. Okay. Stand way over there at the edge. Stand way over there. This gap represents, uh, and this is me right here. These guys are both me. This is the me that I want to be. And this is the me that I was. This is a miracle right here. This is a miracle. Spirit of the living God transformed me into a very skinny, blonde-haired man. Okay? Amen. I receive it. I'm in the middle, but I'm going to make it. Okay. Here's the thing. We're always minding the gap, right? We're always minding the gap. But we only focus on this one. This is the me that I want to be. This is the me where I am right now. And so I keep telling myself, man, look how far I got to go. On a bad day, I'm like, 
man, look at how big this gap is. Look at this thing. And you start beating yourself up because you thought you'd be better by now. You thought you'd be further by now. You thought you'd be making more money by now. You thought you'd be have more hair by now. You thought, I don't know. You thought that Jesus would come through by now. And you look at this gap, and you look at who you want to be, and look at where you are, and you're like, man, I can't believe that there's a gap here. I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm not there yet. I thought by now I would have made it past this point. Come on, I'm following the spirit of the living God. How come I'm still standing right here right now? How come I'm in the midst and I haven't accomplished it yet? But what you, what you forgot to realize, what you forgot to do, while you've been beating yourself over here, you've been closing this gap, and this one's been getting bigger. So instead of standing here like this, being like, mur, mur. I wish God did more in my life. We could go, look how far I've come. Look how far I've come. I may not be here, but look how far I've come. Why do we spend so much time going, well, I'm not there yet. What if we got some stones from the middle of the riverbed and we said, look how far I've come. I might not be here, but I've traveled a long ways. I've traveled a long distance. The spirit of the living God is at work in my life. And yes, I might not be across the river if these were the banks of the river. I might not be there yet, but look at how far I've come in this journey. You know what we need to do as a church and as believers? We need to encourage people. You need to encourage your friends. Look how far you've come. That's what, we're, that's what our testimonies are about. That's what our stories are about. That's the power of your story is not where you aren't yet. It's look how far you've come. This is the miracle of God. This is the provision of God. This is the power of God. We're so focused on what God hasn't done for us yet that we forgot all the things he did to get me right here right now. Wow. Wow. I'm just going to let you guys stand here for a while. You look so good. Wow. I'm just kidding. Go Give you guys a round of applause. Go sit down. Wow, we got to mind the gap. We got to mind the gap. We got to mind the gap. Look how much God has done in my life. The spirit of the living God goes before me. The spirit of the living God is in my midst. And the spirit of the living God has got my back. How do we know that that's true? Because there's a proof text in Revelation 22, 13. At the end of the Bible, the scary book, Revelation Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, here's the amazing part about Jesus being Alpha and Omega. It means Jesus Christ is the entire alphabet. Whether you're at B or Z or U or Dubs or M, Sometimes it works, sometimes it fails, all right? It doesn't matter what letter you're at. Jesus is all the letters. Jesus is all the letters. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. Said, Please come up and rescue me. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross. Get this. They lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. So do you remember that long list of haters? When word got out that these people were moving into their territory, 
they're like, all right, we'll crush them. It's fine. We're fortified. We've got cities. See, where they crossed, put them on the banks to, to the city called Jericho. If you've been in church for a while, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Jericho. Fortified city, incredible walls. So they crossed at the place called Jericho. You think those people in Jericho were nervous? Not at first. Because they're like, how are you going to get across that river? Millions of people. God says, I know how. Watch this. River's dry. When word started to get out, all the haters, all the enemies were paralyzed with fear because they realized that these people don't just sing about the Jesus who is greater, but they're living with and walking with the Jesus who is greater. So all those who were forming up to, to fight them, to come against them, were paralyzed with fear because they realized that they were not just rolling on their own strength. You might be in a situation right now where there's people who are trying to form up against you and derail your life. But can I tell you, when you get the understanding that Jesus goes before you, he's with you in the midst, and he goes behind you, and you just start following him, those people are going to start losing heart and become paralyzed with fear because they realize that they're not just messing with you. They're messing with the God who made this world, the hand who holds the world, who spoke this thing into existence, and then they're starting to understand that your fear that has been imposed on you by them means nothing because you have hope in someone who is greater. You're like, I don't have those kind of enemies. Well, not in the natural. There is the enemy of your soul who's deceptive and sneaky and shady and tries to whisper lies and, and truths. He's the one who reminds you of this gap right here. He's the one who says, oh, you're not there yet, you failure. And you're like, yeah, but look how far I come. We get so, like, wrapped up. I talked about this before. We get so wrapped up in fighting the devil. We forgot the Bible reverse that says the greatest strategy that Jesus gave to his brother James is resist the devil and he will flee from That's you. Good. Not, like, go to war. Just resist. Because the battle's been won. Resist. 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 I'm resisting arrest. And I do that by this. Jesus goes before me and I'm going to follow him. When I'm halfway across the river and I'm tired and, and, I'm, and I'm weak and I'm lonely and I can see the bank on the other side and I'm reminded of that I'm not there yet. I remind myself of how far I've come. I remind myself that not only am I following Jesus, but he's with me right here. He's guiding me through. He's going to get me through. And not only is he right here in the midst, but he's not going anywhere until I get through because Jesus has got my back. You think Jesus has ran off and left you right where you are. Jesus has not left you. Yeah. He has not forsaken That's you. Good. He's not abandoned you. Yeah. He's yesterday, today, and forever. He's three and one at the front, at the back, and right here in the middle. Yeah, that's good. Good Christian people are so convinced that they've missed the timing of God in their life, that they missed the biblical truth that God did not leave you, and he's right there. You're yeah. just ignoring him because you're so distracted by what you haven't done that you forgot what he did do already. That's good. That's good. You've been listening to The Engaged Life. Powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.